0: Welcome, everyone, to episode number seven of Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, a 50 year retrospective the early years of the WWF, the WWF, and the WWE. The Mecca of professional wrestling a building that every wrestler wanted to wrestle in we record one show a month to coincide with the 50th anniversary of a wrestling house show at madison square garden and to help us look back as always the man who went to every wrestling house show at madison square garden for five years straight starting in august 30th 1971 mr wrestling himself john Arizzi. john how you doing today
1: good i mean that introduction certainly makes me old
0: it, it know, is 50, 50 years. years ago. Yeah, it is 50 years. But how, let me ask you first, how you feeling? I'm feeling great. Okay. Last time we talked, you were just getting still over the COVID. You had yeah, COVID was, cough and everything a, still going, uh, but you're still going good.
1: That was not a good um, few weeks in my life, let's put it that way. And, and, you know, as far as COVID goes, I mean, I really feel back to full 100% physical capacity. Mentally, uh, you know, uh, I don't think I'll ever be there again. You know, you know, I think I'll always have COVID brain fog, but maybe that's just an excuse because I'm getting older.
0: But you you actually feel that you actually start because I have friends who had COVID too, who go through the same thing.
1: Now, the brain fog is 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 done, too. I'm just you know, I'm just feeling old. Yeah. at 65, you know, and then you talk about we're going to be reviewing shows from 50 years ago. And I spent a few hours over the weekend, you know, digging into negatives and looking at some more, uh, you know, vintage photographs that I shot. And I'm like, man. Looking at the people and what they were dressed in it's like i'm I'm friggin old i'm sixty five this is crazy. did you ever think that you'd be doing a podcast? With some old dude
0: to talk about wrestling from fifty years ago, Tim. We didn't know what a podcast was when back then. We did, we knew nothing. We knew nothing. And and the funny thing about it, when you do think back about these days, you don't think about how you were dressed or how you looked. You think about like no. how you look today. You know, like, oh, you think about, you know, you, you think you look good and all of a sudden you look back and you go, Ooh, I was wearing that? Ugh, what was I thinking? But at the time, yeah. that was hip. And as always, we bring this episode to you free of charge. 50 years to the date of a house show at Madison Square Garden. But if you want to hear this show early and you want to support the podcast, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash John And it's not just a podcast. There's a whole lot more, right, John?
1: Uh, there's so much stuff up there, uh, Tim. Over the weekend, I uploaded some really interesting stuff. I went back into the archives and uploaded a few college shows. I found a really interesting um appearance by Vern gagne and chris taylor on the old mike douglas show and i think that was from 1976 so i want to put that up for patrons coming up this week it was really interesting and jerry lewis was on set which made it even more hilarious so it's uh it's an interesting (laughs) it was an interesting find for me over the weekend because that's what i do i listen to stuff and uh, it was at the end of one of my college shows, and then it segued into this Mike Douglas show, because I said think anything about wrestling that was on TV on my cassette player. And I was like, well, yeah, this sounds like something I think the patrons would enjoy. So uh, that'll be going up. But, you know, we have um, I just put up a photo set of uh, the night Bruno Sammartino beat Stan Stasiak on December 1st, 1973, and I put that up for. Uh, the upper tier patron members. So there's always stuff going up there. Just to give you a little idea of what patrons get with the starting point of just five bucks a month, and that gets you the entire archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Radio Show. It gets you get your early access to this podcast, early access to the weekly John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast. Here's what I put up just this weekend because I upload new content for patrons every Sunday. I put up a video that was from the IWAS tour in 1993 of Southeast Asia and it's a a real interesting one. It was the uh, it was me actually leaving home to go to Southeast Asia. So there's footage of my mom There's footage of my sister, Donna. uh, There's footage of us going to the airport, checking in to customs. We had this holding area, Jake the Snake Roberts, Conan, Greg Valentine, Bob Orton, and others, and Nancy Sullivan, so many others. And and then the flight over to uh, our first stop, which was Singapore, on Singapore Airlines, I have some footage on the plane with the performers and then getting to our destination because we were doing a a big press conference there uh so uh, there's a lot of really neat footage in that thing and it's really personal to me because it's my mom and she's like oh i'm gonna miss you and you know and, and i'm in the van complaining i already spent most of the money i made from this tour already you know so and my sister's there and Bruce Jacobs, who was the producer uh, at the time, and I took him overseas as well. So that went up, uh, Pro Wrestling Spotlight, college show from October 76. Then I found another really interesting uh, new center for Boston, WBZ, did a feature on Pro Wrestling in February 76. And they were kind of, it was almost like a semi-expose. And Bruno Martino let them have it in this uh, interview, talking about, in his opinion, how wrestling is real. And then, of course, uh, Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast early, and that one ties into a lot of the stuff I posted because the uh, new Pro Wrestling Spotlight uh, a regular podcast covers the origins of the show, from the me listening to wrestling radio in the uh, time period of 72-73 on WHBI and gives the whole history of how that lit my fire and me wanting to do a talk show and and then we go into the college days. And then we go into my entire three incarnations of Pro Wrestling Spotlight. So all for patrons, uh, you know, that show, the the oranges show, is up there for everybody, obviously. And we're about to get into the sex scandal stuff and me breaking up with Russo. So each and every week is going to be a real interesting ride. So, uh, yeah, you know, you never know what you're going to find when you start listening to old cassettes.
0: I, I love the behind-the-scenes footage. It's not the plane ride from hell, is it? No. Uh, well, actually...
1: Actually, we had a couple of incidents, um, you know, in the beginning, right before even before we got on the flight, Jake the Snake Roberts took out his uh, uh, albino python and he didn't even check it with customs and he takes it out of the bag and he starts chasing around our Singapore Airlines representative that was assigned to us and then they confiscated the, the, um, uh, the snake from him uh, and he didn't get it back. We had to get a new snake for him once we got overseas. And then on the flight, everyone was drinking, you know, party atmosphere, whatever we're all going. And we were stopping in Germany before we took off and completed our flight uh, to Singapore. And cowboy Bob Orton had way too much to drink, way too much to drink. And, you know, a lot of the wrestlers wore those fanny packs back in the day, and some still do. Uh, but uh, Orton had lost his or misplaced his, and he was screaming that the flight attendant, these beautiful flight attendants on Singapore Airlines, some of the most stunning women I've ever met. And he's like yelling and screaming at them that they stole his fanny pack. And uh, it caused quite a ruckus. And then when we landed in Germany, armed guards came on the plane. And it was uh, the guy that was assigned to us from the touring company was able to talk them down. And 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 Orton found his fanny pack. It was in the overhead uh, luggage uh, where you put your overhead luggage. Yeah, it was there and he got on his hands and knees and, and kind of begged them to please, please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and if you ask him that today, he won't recall it. I mean, you know, he was lit, but uh, that was an entry. It wasn't the plane ride from hell,
0: but it was it was close. Well, you can check out some of this footage only if you're on Patreon, patreon.com slash John and Rizzi. Go check out the backstage footage, go check out the footage. And also it's a great companion piece to this podcast and the pro wrestling spotlight podcast. Cause you are loading things up that we talk about. You loaded up the Jimmy Valiant interview. You did, you load up pictures of Freddie Blassie. So there's always something that is a companion to this podcast. Oh, absolutely.
1: And I found a bunch of the uh, little Instamatic photographs that I took back in the day that I'll be putting up for patrons as well. I mean, these are the one, the early, early shots of me shooting at uh, Ringside. And I found the uh, found the uh, Pedro Morales, Bruno San versus Tanak and Fuji match uh, from October 15th, 1972, right after their Shea Stadium match.
0: All right. Something to look forward to. Yes. All you got to do, patreon.com slash John Arrizzi. Support the podcast, join the community. And let's get into this week. We have the uh, big things this week. First of all, it's John's dad first wrestling show with john you know i gotta say it's his second wrestling show with john the first one was five years to the month that you didn't get in to madison square garden with your dad because you're too young at the time correct
1: yeah that was uh, february 67 uh we went and we couldn't get in because i was only 10 and you had to be 14 to get in so they stopped me at the door with my dad his friend mike and um my friend john and um now that i think about it it was my friend's sister too so it was five of us we couldn't get in uh and that was uh that was quite a um a heartbreaking experience and I almost uh, never got over it, Tim. I, you know, let it fester in my mind. And what a depression that I sunk into for most of my adolescence because I couldn't get into the garden.
0: But then you finally did. And tonight is the night which we're going to talk about. Also, the return of Bruno San Martino to the garden. This is a big deal.
1: A huge deal for me. And by the way, those last comments were kind of I was being a little facetious (laughs) if you didn't. I understood. I got you. I got you. uh, But yeah, Uh, but yeah, huge deal. Bruno San Martino. Had not seen him live up to that point. He had not uh, appeared at Madison Square Garden in a year. You know, really, I think it was February 8th when Morales won the title in 71, and then he had no shows, I don't think. I could be wrong, but uh, anyway, for me, that was the first time in uh, seeing Bruno Martino. So that was, the, that was the deal for me that I was like more excited about Bruno than anything else on that card. And this card
0: starts a, a trend for the WWWF. That is kind of crazy, but we've, we've been working to figure out why they were doing some of the things they were doing. Back in the day, the WWWF worked months in advance. You booked a card out months in advance. You got guys come in months in advance. It was a yeah. whole thing about climbing up the card, going against a champion, and then going down the card. So it really was very well booked. Not saying today is not well booked, but there's so no. many more injuries and things today, so you can't book that far out. You don't know what's going to happen to the guys. Right. But this was a card that started it all as in almost like one-off bookings. And let me let me give you an example. So last month they drew twenty-two thousand ninety fans to Madison Square Garden. That's for a Monday night house show. That is like today, like WrestleMania numbers. But like WrestleMania, you don't know who's gonna be on the card before you buy the tickets. Back in the day, it was all about the marquee. Who's on the marquee? Who's gonna put people in the seats? And the one person that always did it was Bruno San Martino. Bruno headlined or co-mained events on the marquee at Madison Square Garden for 159 times. That's once a month for over 12 years. So his name meant something. So bringing Bruno back was important because they were working another angle on the other side, and that was with Pedro. They're trying to build up Pedro. And the main event this time with Pedro was against Baron Miguel Sacluna. So, John, if people don't know who Baron Miguel Sacluna is, tell them who he is. Sure. Uh, But first, I want to make a quick correction because
1: I've already researched it as you were talking there. Uh, Bruno did come back to uh, take on Blackjack Mulligan uh, on July 24th, 1971. So it was the the show before I started going. Gotcha. And he beat uh, Mulligan in uh, one minute and four seconds. Not really a great match. I wouldn't say, but Bruno was there for a minute and four seconds. He probably got a nice payday. But getting back to Baron Mikel Sacluna, Sacluna was a guy that when I first started watching wrestling and when I really started getting into it, uh, in the 1966 era he was a guy who uh, a, a top heel not necessarily a main eventer but he was a tag team champion with uh smasher sloan and that was back in the day and uh, but he was always a constant and he always had that allure of the roll of dimes that he kept in his tights that was his gimmick and it was this simple gimmick he'd reach down and he'd hit his opponent over the head with a loaded fist which is with a roll of dimes or quarters inside this fist. But he was somebody that stayed around for a while and uh, and he never really made uh, what I would call a full-time living in the business either. I mean, he worked for many, many years in the union uh, driving a uh, delivery truck for one of the New York newspapers uh, for many years. So uh, I got to know him a little bit. I mean, he went to uh, at least one of my conventions. Uh, I think I, I think I, rem-
0: I remember seeing him. I think it was the third one he was at.
1: Yeah, he might have been at the third one and he was there with Davey O'Hannon and and uh, a few other guys. And uh, I know there's a picture of Mick Foley with uh, Davey and um, with Baron Cicluna. So, yeah, I mean, but he was a, a constant, a mainstay, and he appeared on many shows.
0: But he wasn't the guy that put people into seats. Would you call him? That- oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't say he was a. Box office draw. Exactly. And we're talking about back in the day when you put your name on the marquee, that's what they're looking at. They're looking for those names. So I'm sure yeah. Bruno was up there. But then yeah. Baron Miguel Sacluna getting a title shot wasn't something that would pe- put people in the seats against Pedro Morales. And we, we, we're going to show that in a second, what it turned out to be. But also, not, he wasn't just Baron Miguel Sacluna. Him and King Curtis had just beaten Carl Gotch and Rene Goulet for the WWF tag team titles. So now you have a tag team champion going against a heavyweight champion. It sounds like a good idea, but I don't, you know, even knowing the Baron, he's not going to draw that kind of crowd.
1: No, uh, not certainly a sellout, but you would think with Bruno on the marquee, uh, it would have been a sellout, but it wasn't. But it was ironic, yes, that... um, uh, that February 1st, 72, in Philadelphia for TV match, uh, Sakluna and uh, King Curtis uh, defeated Carl Gotch and Rene Goulet, who had just really won the title back in December at the Garden, and they had uh, teamed up for a very short period of time and then they win the title they might only had a few tv matches and i was thinking about that reign because uh, carl gotch was such a great technical wrestler they were fan favorites and they won and then all of a sudden they lose but that might have had something to do there was something that happened because carl gotch left the territory abruptly and they were building carl up to be this you know technical baby face Tough guy shooter, uh, and then he did like three or four shows. Then he gets into the tag uh, uh, match. I think the uh, you know we're going to go back here just a second, just so I could uh, kind of look at my my notes. But it was kind of when I was reviewing everything, it was more like, wow, Gotch never appeared at the Garden anymore after they lost the titles on. February 1st, 72, that was the end of it for him. So maybe, uh, you know, I'd love to know the real story about what happened with Carl Gotch and why he left, and maybe that's another reason why the straps were, you know, hastily maybe put on, you know, the waist of Curtis and Cicluna because Gotch basically came in And uh, he made his uh, debut at Madison Square Garden on the show that my the very first show that I attended, which was August the 30th when he beat the Black Demon. And then he comes back the second month, October 25th, in a singles match and he beats Beautiful Bobby. Then in November 15th, 71, he's back again and he defeats Mike Monroe. And then all of a sudden, December sixth, the very next show, he's there with Renee Goulet, and they beat Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham to win the titles. January seventy-two, the show we covered a few months ago, uh, he was there again, uh, and they beat the Rugged Russians, defending their title. And then by the next month, the show that we're covering today, no Carl Gotch, gone, never to be seen again.
0: That, that that's crazy. And and then going back to like the Miguel Sakluna. Having a tag yeah. team match, I can understand him having a tag team title, but pushing him to the garden to to the main event in the garden, he was never a main eventer. He was a mid carder at best, and maybe back in the day he was more of a main eventer. But this is now seventy two; he's not the same guy anymore.
1: No, I mean, you know, the only person that could really answer these questions is Vince McMahon Sr., who's no longer with us because he was the Booker and Vince booked. Way in advance, too, I mean, uh, most times. But this could have been a way to make Pedro strong, you know, to give him some uh, not the most difficult of matches, to let him go over strong against Sucluna, let him go over strong uh, against King Curtis. And then, you know, it was kind of a lot of these throwaways, Professor Tanaka, uh, they were throwing throwing heels at him that he was beating uh, quite handily and pretty easily. Back then, and uh, you know whether or not the Bruno Pedro Angle and their eventual match at Shea Stadium had anything to do with it, uh, it could have been. I don't know. I wish I, I you know would have more in- inside information about that. But I I think that yeah, getting Morales strong, putting him over, giving him some uh, pretty quick victories uh, would elevate him. Maybe trying to draw a fan base to him because there was still a lot of resentment that Morales was champion from the non-Hispanic fans because Bruno was their hero. So um, maybe they were trying to make it like give him some strong performances uh, to maybe attract more mainstream uh, fans to, uh, to to get on his side.
0: Well, it would make a lot of sense him going in, you know, going up against the legend Bruno right. at Shea in the future. Right. If If they plan out so well, why yeah. are they doing this? Th- well, that, that could, could be have been point. that
1: could have been a reason why they did the Bruno Pedro thing too, because you know Morales and, and because he you know he didn't beat Bruno, but Bruno didn't beat him either. It was a draw, and then the next match, you know, they're hugging at Madison Square Garden. They're embracing Bruno's, you know, lifting his hand up again, uh, and uh, maybe it was just kind of a struggle because he was inconsistent uh, with the uh, attendance figures uh, around the horn, and then finally the decision was made in '73. Well, maybe. You know, maybe the guys had his run, and then when Bruno agreed to come back, you know, Pedro had a nice little run there, but uh, there could have been a lot of reasons. I mean, I wish we knew. I mean, I wish Morales was still around to talk about it, but unfortunately he's not, and Bruno, of course, is not, and uh, Morales' wife is still alive, and she's still pretty coherent. Don Leibel will talk to her not too long ago, had a really nice conversation with her, but uh, she didn't really go to the matches a lot either, you know, and she didn't have a big recall of uh, of the of you know her heading to the garden with him every month you know
0: what we're really getting into is that how important the garden is for the WWW oh, yeah, so important and for them to lose, for example last month $22,090. this month, yeah. 18,300. That's roughly 4,800 left empty seats. So, a and big the,
1: other, the other thing we got to think about, Tim, also, because Madison Square Garden also had a big walk up, especially with the H- Hispanic fans, with the Puerto Rican fans. Maybe the weather, maybe there was snow, maybe there was a snowstorm. Who the hell knows what could have happened to keep that crowd with Bruno? I'm saying it was a Bruno there. You would think that Bruno would have sold the place out. Just for him to be on the, in
0: that co-main event, the return of Bruno. Yeah, you would think, and this is why we get back to the marquee. When you put your name on marquee, it does mean something. And walk-ups, that here, was a—that was here's a normal the thing.
1: thing. I'm going to get to another point here. Okay, July 24th, 1970, uh, 1971. Bruno comes back for the first time to, to beat um, Blackjack Mulligan in a minute four. Attendance: twenty-one thousand nine hundred and twelve. Sellout. Wow. So here we go in February. Bruno's back again with a show that was not – it it didn't sell out. It was 18,301. Maybe weather had something to
0: do with it. Who knows? Or maybe not. Well, let me ask you this. How about TV? What was the buildup for this garden show on TV? What Were they were they talking more about, like, Bruno on the card, or were they talking more about Pedro or Miguel Cicluna? How were they promoting the show back then?
1: Uh, the, the promos was Bruno's return, and he he, he might have done a – I don't even know if he did any TV promos for this. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, all pushing. Uh, Bruno's coming back. Uh, uh, and, of course, the main event, Cicluna, Morales. I don't remember – they could have done it, but I don't remember uh, any angles or any, you know, looking, uh, you know, pushing cicluna during uh, the weeks preceding this main event uh, as some type of monster hero that could possibly even have a chance to beat Morales. The only thing that they did was, you know, they gave him the tag team titles. But once again, you know, that was like, OK, they're tag team champions, but has really nothing to do
0: with if he could beat the world champion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get into today's show. Madison Square Garden, March 13th, 1972. Uh, the return of John's dad. How did this all come about, John? How did you get your dad to come to a match with you?
1: Well, uh, I had been taking uh, I've been going with my friend Frank Favalli each month, and he's the guy that took me to my first show. And, um, you know, uh, there were times where his interest waned a little bit and then he would come back. And but this show, I really wanted my dad to kind of experience you know the joy that I was having for pro wrestling, and he knew it since the '60s. Obviously, with that ill-fated attempt to uh, show up at the Garden in February '67, uh, so he did agree to come with me, and it was kind of exciting for me. You know, uh, uh, I know my dad uh, is not a train guy, and I think I got that from him. He hated trains, buses, any public transportation. He had a uh, Oldsmobile '98 which was a really nice mint car. And I think it was his, actually his first new car ever. And uh, and I remember driving with him uh, to the matches in the Oldsmobile 98, you know, and, and then parking and going into the garden, sitting down. And, you know, he was just kind of there looking around. And so it was kind of cool for me, you know, but uh, uh, he didn't really get into it the way I did, you know, because at one point I turned to my left. And looked at him, and he was sleeping.
0: <laughs> he was trying, trying to think, why, why did this guy come? Why does my son come here well, every month?
1: I mean, to, to, to give credit where credit's due, I mean, he might have taken off from work because he worked an overnight shift at a place called Eastern Trucking. And he also uh, had a secondary job, which I've talked about uh, in my book you know he was uh, a numbers runner is what they called it uh, back in the day so he was always a, he was always working you know and there were you know times where he'd only come home a couple times a week and his mom my grandma lived in uh, Cypress Hills in, in Brooklyn and so uh, he would stay there especially cuz he he worked an overnight shift and he would come home six seven in the morning and then on the weekends he worked you know because that's when the collections and he had to make the you know had to drop off the money to the boss and and uh, i I used to really have a lot of anxiety every garden show on a sunday night because i relied on him to give me my money to go to the show i mean it was 20 bucks 25 bucks whatever it was and if he you know i'd wait and sometimes i'd stay up all night waiting for him to pull up and as as long as I heard that car, you know, and I, he had revved the motor before he shut it off. Once I heard that by the window, um, then I knew that yeah, I'd get my money for wrestling and go. And because I was there five
0: years in a row, what more than that, you
1: know, <laughs> my dad was pretty consistent coming home when he needed to.
0: I like I like when you talked about driving in. Um, if people don't yeah. know, Madison Square Garden, like we talked about, is on you know Manhattan Island. And the best mm-hmm. way to get there is train. But when they started having the Long Island become the suburbs, they really pushed back in the day people driving places. Okay, So you want to drive to the beach or you want to drive to the stadium or you want to drive these places. And your dad seemed like he really embraced the driving. Oh, we can drive because they had new highways and all these different roads now on Long Island you can drive on. So it, it had to be a pretty cool deal. We, oh, I get to drive now i'm driving in he took advantage of it anytime he could
1: yeah he did i mean we were you know we were born i was born and raised in brooklyn and then when we finally moved out to the island in 1964 to long island it was a little difficult for him the commute because at that time he also had a he had a grocery store in manhattan and in, in brooklyn rather in cypress hills in the same building my grandmother owned the building uh, but you know it was just that it was that commute and even though there wasn't the massive traffic there is now, it was still a, you know, 30 to 45 minute drive. And, uh, but yeah, but he loved to drive and, uh, you know, he, he drove everywhere. He did.
0: Where did you get tickets for the show? Do you remember where you were sitting?
1: Um, I was in the, uh, in the loge, uh, sec, you know, the section, I call them section 100. Some people call them the loge, but they on the tickets it said loge. Uh, so it was not ringside. It was a, a level up. It was, um, uh, the right side of where the entrance was where the guys came out. And we had fairly good seats. It was fairly good seats. I mean, th- 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 those were those were kind of cool. If you weren't taking photographs or, um, you know, the loge was always a good place to sit. But, uh, yeah, he liked the seats, and I think I got him
0: a Ticketmaster. There you go. Love Ticketmaster. Ticket
1: Ticketron.
0: Ticketron. Ticketron. All right. First match of the night, Jimmy Valiant fought Joe Nova to a 20-minute draw.
1: Yeah. Valiant was, uh, you know, hanging on. uh, And, uh, you know, he would eventually come back and win the tag team titles multiple times with his brother, Johnny Valiant, and later his other brother, Jerry, or whatever. But uh, Valiant was there. Joe Nova, you know, a good hand, as they would call it. A good preliminary guy. and. I think in some territories he even won more than he did in the WWF.
0: Let's go to match number two. Pompero Furpo beat Ben Justice. No time limit given.
1: Yeah, I mean, this could have been a match where Furpo beating Ben Justice and, and Justice was from the Detroit area, as and Furpo uh was highly active, very active in the Detroit area as well. So he had wrestled Ben Justice a number of times there. And I believe that was the only time Ben was at the Garden. And it could have been that they traveled together. Who knows? I mean they could have been driving you know, who you know, who knows? I, I don't remember even if the I don't have the program, uh, but I don't know if Dan's name was even in the program. Could have been. He it, it could have just showed up. That's the way it goes back
0: then. Could've just showed up. Um, yeah, there was a few occasions like that, but that did happen. Pampero Furpo, you did an interview with his daughter. Uh where can people find Mary. that?
1: Yeah, his wh- daughter Mary. Where did
0: you where where can people find that? It's on my YouTube channel.
1: Uh, Pro Wrestling Spotlight Live. Well, just you know, mm-hmm. YouTube dot com slash Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and it's there. Uh we did a really great interview with her. Uh, it was twenty twenty. What a wonderful woman she is and what great fond memories of her dad and what a great guy Pimpero Furpo was to his family.
0: Hey, that's always amazing hearing that because so many stories of wrestlers are I really didn't know my dad. He was on the road all the time. I got yeah. I didn't be around my dad. So he was definitely a family man. Yes, he was. He
1: uh, Family
0: was first and foremost in his life. That's pretty cool. Match number three, Professor Toro Tanaka defeated Rene Goulet in seven minutes, 45 seconds.
1: Yeah, Tanaka was somebody they were having uh, win because he was eventually going to uh, wrestle Morales as well. And Goulet had just dropped the tag team titles uh, with his partner, Carl uh, Gotch. And And Rene uh, got uh, soundly defeated by Tanaka in this match.
0: And Rene Goulet seems like he's a company guy. He seems like he's always doing something for the company. He'll win the title, he'll lose the title, whatever you need him to do, he's that guy.
1: Yeah, and he he came back many years later to be a road agent. So he spent a lot of years with the company during the 90s and 2000s.
0: Match number four, Ernie the Cat Lad fought Sonny King to a draw.
1: Yes, uh, Ernie the Cat Lad always... uh, a big presence, big guy, the King Ernie lad uh, with the taped up thumb uh, and Sonny King uh, was also getting uh, a push because he was eventually going to win the tag team title with G- Chief J. Strongbowl. Uh, they actually uh, will be covering their victory at Madison Square Garden when he and Strongbowl won the titles from Curtis and Sikloonar in May. So we'll be getting into that in future episodes, but uh Both those guys, 20 minute draw, two really good workers, and Ernie Ladd had just all the charisma in the world.
0: Was he one of those guys you put on the marquee and you go, oh, Ernie Ladd's going to be here. I got to go see him? To me, he was always a special attraction. And, you know, I was always
1: um, fascinated with his uh, NFL career. Uh, He was a big, big guy and just uh, he was good on promos and he was very believable,
0: very believable heel. Match number five. Chief Jay Strongbow and Victor Rivera defeated my boys, the Rugged Russians, in the best-out-of-two-out-of-three-falls match. 2-zip.
1: It's interesting that Strongbow and Rivera teamed up against the Russians, and even though they won you know, two falls in a row, given the fact that Sonny King was uh, going to be teaming up with Strongbow and winning the titles, you would think that maybe it should have been Strongbow and Sonny King against the the Russians and maybe putting Rivera in against Ladd. So I don't know. That's just kind of speculation on my part and a little bit of a why didn't they put Strongbow with King together because they were going to win the title in just another three months.
0: And this is the last match for the Rugged Russians at Madison Square Garden. What I liked about Aww. the Rugged Russians is, I know, they always seem to be the two-out-of-three-fall guys. They're always doing two-out-of-three-fall matches. So somewhere in the card, they'll be doing a two-out-of-three-fall match.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were there. They were mainstays for quite a while, at least a, uh, half a year uh, at the Garden in that two-out-of-three-fall tag team match
0: situation. Uh, match number six, King Curtis, with Captain Lou Abano in his corner, defeated Gorilla Monsoon when the match was stopped because of blood.
1: Yeah, I do remember my dad perking up for this one. Because of how the crowd was, the crowd was going crazy. And this is what happened with a lot of guys. They'd they'd beat one of the top baby faces right before Morales or Bruno. They would do that, they would give him a rub. And and Monsoon was beloved. He was probably number two baby face in the company, you know, that was working full time. You know, Bruno was an attraction at that point. And Curtis busted him open. It was, uh, and, and my dad, I mean, my dad was like, ah, that's fake blood i was like i don't think it's fake dad you know because it was pouring out of his head and my dad what happened i mean you know he got hit could have been a ring post or whatever i'm not too sure but when he gigged himself uh he must have hit a something because he had what they were calling the industry a gusher and the match was stopped due to blood but it was so alarming uh that somebody ran into the ring a fan ran into the ring and wrapped a, uh, a T-shirt or a towel or something around Monsoon's head, and there was no security in the ring. You know, they eventually got the guy and, br- and brought him out, but it made it look like there was an assault here, and this guy was coming to Gorilla Monsoon to stop the blood, and, of course, Monsoon couldn't do anything because he's laying there selling it. That was one of those memorable things of that night for me, and I do remember uh, in a few months uh, later in a ma- wrestling magazine, they actually had a picture of the fan cradling Monsoon's head with the towel around. It was crazy.
0: And he wasn't part of the show. He wasn't part of the... No. No.
1: No. I mean, there were no barricades set up, so if someone was brave enough to want to jump into the ring, you could. Um, the security really got aware of the crowds when Mor- right before Morales's matches. That's when things really got crazy. But uh, I was surprised that they-, they didn't jump in sooner, but it was very effective. <laughs> it really was. Uh, And the fact that Monsoon had to be carried out, you know, gushing blood was just uh, probably the most memorable thing of the night for me outside of seeing the living legend at the time.
0: Speaking of the living legend, match number seven, Bruno Sammartino defeated Smasher Sloan in nine minutes, 53 seconds by submission with the backbreaker.
1: Yeah, the... uh, you know, the trademark move for Bruno Martino, the backbreaker, the same move that he beat Buddy Rogers with in May 17th, 1963, a move that he used uh, a lot, but not that frequently towards this part of his career. He kind of had given it up, and when he eventually came back and won the title, he rarely used the backbreaker, except for a few occasions. But to see him, to see the crowd react when he came out of the locker room, and jogged to the ring, and the place erupted, and smashed to Sloan. I still don't know to this day why they chose him as a returning opponent for Bruno San Martino, because Sloan had not been seen for a while, and I do remember now that Sloan did have some TV victories uh proceeding up to, these, to the show. So they put him on TV, they gave him two or three wins, you know, leading up to the Bruno match, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't somebody that you would immediately think, well, yeah, he he's going to be against Bruno. I mean, why? And then he leaves the territory, you know, shortly thereafter anyway.
0: Uh, the booking. Still don't understand that whole whole booking. I want to go back for a second. The backbreaker. You know, changing your finishing move, that that became a thing over the years. Uh, Bruno did that. McFoley did, did that going from, what was it, the, the nesty plunge? What did he call it? That move that he used to do a flip out of the ring? Yeah, and then he, I don't know exactly what he called. And it. And then he he changed. It. So changing, and they had the mandible claw. Obviously. Exactly, one that's easier to do. Did you find that with a lot of wrestlers changing their moves as they get older because they realize the move that they were doing they can't do it anymore, or it, it it would it would shorten their careers if they kept on doing that move?
1: I don't know, but you think the backbreaker? I mean, that really isn't a that's really not a difficult move to execute because all you're doing is you're lifting the guy up, you, you're putting him in a in a grip around his stomach, and you're lifting him up. And Bruno was a power lifter, mm-hmm. so it wasn't difficult for him to lift anybody up. I mean, for God's sakes, he lifted up Haystack's Calhoun once, not in the backbreaker, but he lifted him up to to slam him. Uh, and that was a quite a feat back then. But, um yeah, I, I don't know why they went away from the backbreaker. I don't know, because I thought that was a very effective move. And uh, when I was a kid, watching Bruno on TV and him putting someone in the backbreaker – I mean, that was it. I mean, that was it. He was done. The guy was going to tap or whatever. It wasn't even tapping out. It was just, I give up. I mean, uh, at the time, uh, but it was, uh, you know, I always felt that uh, that backbreaker could have been used more often, but who knows what was going on with Bruno. Maybe there was some stuff going on health wise for him where he couldn't get that lift up the way he used
0: to. The backbreaker also known as the bear hug, correct? No.
1: No. The bear hug's different. The bear hug is when you're facing your opponent and you have him in this hug. You're hugging him face-to-face, squeezing uh, squeezing, and trying to uh, force a submission. Uh, the back break is you're lifting somebody up over you and you're holding them over your head and you're putting him on top of your shoulder and you're squeezing the abdomen and it causes somebody
0: to give up. Okay, so maybe that's why, because that seems like you're very unbalanced, you're, your back's unbalanced, and you're in the ring at the same yeah. time. So, yeah,
1: and Bruno used the, Bruno used the bear hug uh,
0: throughout his career. Gotcha. Now, I, I was wondering, I was like the backbreaker. I am trying. To, I was thinking the backbreaker, what's the one where you put your leg out and you, you throw somebody on, that, on your leg? That's a backbreaker, right? I don't get you. Is, you is put that, your leg out. You know, you like mean? you put your knee, so you go like down on one knee and you slam someone down? On oh, your that's, co- that's kind of a backbreaker, too. I mean, yeah.
1: it's it literally called a backbreaker, but it wasn't the same type of backbreaker as
0: when you would lift somebody on your shoulders. Okay, so I, both moves are called the backbreaker, but the one, the submission hold... for Demonstration was, purposes, Tim. I don't, None of, uh, people can't see this, but... And thank God you're not doing it to me, so go on, demonstrate without me... Okay, Can you see I, it? I can see it. We, we'll put this on Patreon, and who is that? Is that Buddy Rogers? That's when he won the title, yeah. Okay, so the backbreaker is over your shoulder... You're, yeah, and then he, he's—it's kind of like, oh gosh, how do you explain you're holding that? Holding
1: him above your shoulder, and you're squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. So the guy, if he didn't give up, his back would snap like a twig, as Freddie Blassie would say.
0: There you go. There you go. Now I get it. Now I know what the move looks like, and we'll put that up on the Patreon so you get an idea of what the backbreaker looks like. If you don't know, like myself, I was mistaken. I was thought it looked like something else. Uh, match number eight. Here we go. WWF Champion Pedro Morales pinned Baron Miguel Sacluna. With Captain Lou Albano in 11 minutes 34 seconds.
1: To be honest with you, I don't remember a hell of a lot about this match. There could have been a early departure as well, uh, with my dad. You know, because obviously he'd fell, as- he fell asleep at the show, and I don't remember anything about the match. So we might have left early to beat the traffic or to who knows what. All I know is I got to see Bruno, uh, and the reason I don't because I remember. Those other matches, I remember Monsoon getting bloodied up. I remember Bruno obviously coming out. But I don't have any real recollection of uh, the Morales-Sucluna match. I do have a photo of uh, them in the ring before the match started because I do remember Sucluna wearing his title. I do remember now. There you go. I remember Sucluna wearing his title belt and Morales his, obviously, But I don't remember anything about the match other than that. And we might have left
0: early. Wow. So you're leaving during the the championship match because it was. uh, My
1: dad was like, I want to get out of here. You know, it's like, all right, you saw Bruno. Let's go.
0: (laughs) And last time you brought your dad, you're like, okay, dad, from now on, I want to go. I'm staying till the end no matter what happens. That was the last time he went to, uh,
1: you know, with the exception of my conventions, which he went to. uh, He didn't go to another wrestling match.
0: Oh, man. Would this be one of those matches that went around the loop, uh, Ceculna and Pedro? Oh,
1: I'm sure it did. I'm sure they did Sunnyside Gardens or the Westchester County Civic Center. There was a lot of little spot shows around the Northeast that uh, I'm sure that uh, they
0: had a, a bit of a run in some of the other cities. And we talked last time about the curfew at the Garden, 11 p.m. curfew. And I've heard reasons other than I've heard the unions would double, you know, it would, the unions would charge you double if you went past 11 p.m. Have you ever heard that?
1: That might have been true. I mean, the unions were always, uh, you know, the the unions were always tough to work with there at uh, any given time, and that's one of the reasons McMahon left the Garden uh, in recent history because of how uh, cost of the unions were. But yeah, I mean, if you go over maybe that certain time. Uh, where you have the building booked for so many hours, if you run into overtime and you're dealing with unions, unions sometimes are getting two, three, four times their regular pay for, for overtime pay. Yeah, I mean, me working in a loading dock when I was a kid, uh when i graduated high school and uh, didn't know what i was going to do with my life i worked at a doc but um if you went overtime you'd get paid extra yeah that's a good question if anybody knows the real reason to it i mean just drop us an email to you know just send it to john at Mattmemories.com and and if you have the answer to that or if you ever want to ask any questions about even any of these shows that we've covered that's a good place to do it because hey listen we all don't know everything no so for 11 p.m. curfew, the union fees could have been a reason why there was a, a curfew, but I don't know for sure. How would you rate this show, John? You that you I would that... still say it was a great show. I mean, between the Monsoon deal and Bruno coming back and you know Ernie Ladd and you know Furpo who had become a favorite of mine, uh, it was a show that I really enjoyed in March of uh, 1972.
0: Not everyone went, but it was a decent show for you. You you enjoyed the show, and this is...
1: Yeah, and you're looking at it, 18,000. 18,000, it could have been weather, like I said. Who knows? But that's still a kind of a healthy crowd. It's not a sellout, but it's still... Uh, it's not a it's not a money loser. Let's put it that way. No,
0: then. and we're going to be seeing this month after month coming up. Pedro's going to get these one offs coming up. So we're we're all thinking it's leading to maybe the Shea Stadium show or something with Bruno. We don't know exactly what's happening right now. Maybe they're building them up. But that, that's another idea, John. We have to maybe if we can find anybody who's out there would know about what what their plan was here. What what was the plan was was Pedro not you know not doing as well as they want him to do? Did they want to build him up to be more of a Hercules-like guy because he's going to be going against Bruno? What didn't they see in Pedro that they needed to see in Pedro to get him to go against Bruno?
1: Yeah, I think the people who know that are all dead, unless you're looking at Vinny Jr., pince mcmahon jr but you know who who else could answer that question i mean most of the guys are dead
0: yeah i mean it's just it was it's a very knowing the great bookings that we had at the garden for the main event for the championship you know the fred Blassies and all these like great matches why are they going with a miguel cicluna a mid cotter at best and then keep this trajectory until the bruno match coming up in september at shea stadium
1: Yeah, all good questions, and I'm sure we'll be speculating, we'll be analyzing, we'll be uh, giving our two cents, as they say, into what we think was going on back then. You know, as the wrestling historian that I am, you know, I am anxiously awaiting future episodes so we can dive deep into this uh, mat- memories from Madison Square Garden.
0: Absolutely. And if you want to join the community, love to have you help support the podcast so we can bring it to you every week for free. But also, get some more inside stuff. Go to patreon.com slash John Rizzi. You're always loading up stuff every time. $5 to get in the door. Gets you a lot of stuff, right, John?
1: Oh, it gets you everything, man. It gives you, if you're a fan of wrestling history, and if you're a fan of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight and all the incarnations that we had of it. You can go and listen to 150 episodes of Pro Wrestling Spotlight uh, from April 9th, 1989 through March 15th, 1992. They're all up there right now for you to enjoy. And then, of course, there are those bonuses, those college shows, that early, those early interviews I did from backstage at Madison Square Garden. That stuff is pretty incredible. I mean, for five bucks... You get the podcast early, and you get the entire archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. For the $10 tier, uh, you get all of the other bonus audio that's attached to it. And then if you want to go up even further to a $25 level, you start getting vintage wrestling magazines mailed to you. You get video uh, access. And then we have a $50 level, and that gives you access to all the 8 millimeter films that we had. And then, you know, at the top tier, $100 a month, you were a producer, you're an executive producer, and you get your name listed uh, on the podcast, the Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast. You get, a, you get four vintage magazines from the 60s, 70s, or 80s every month. Uh, so there is a lot of value there and people are enjoying it. Uh, we want more members and I'm kind of tinkering with the idea an expansion of this thing in April, uh, because I have to mail magazines out every month, man. If you're at that $25 level, you're getting a vintage magazine, which is probably worth 20 or 25 bucks just for that. Then you have the postage, right? And postage costs have gone way up. Yeah. Uh, And if you're at the $50 level, you're getting two magazines a month. And if you're at the uh, executive producer level, you're getting four magazines a month. So it kind of pays for your your monthly membership just by the magazine. So what I might start doing is mailing them out to everyone quarterly. So it saves a little bit on the postage. That
0: makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we'll
1: figure it out. But I also wanted to open it up, you know, to increase the membership. Uh, so I'm thinking of a couple of I- other ideas that would give, uh, you know, people at maybe a lower tier level of a $25 level, Uh, maybe a little bit more, something else that'll be special for them. But uh, that helps the uh, production cost of uh, not only this show, but the weekly Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast. And, you know, we have people that we pay for editing and we have, uh, you know, it's just uh, people that we pay to do our YouTube clips. And uh, so, I mean, all of that is not going in my pocket. It's, uh, It's basically going to pay the expenses, you know.
0: Keep keep the lights. Because wrestling on. has
1: never been a money making proposition for me, Tim.
0: <laughs> I know that. I know. I that. don't know
1: what it is to. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to make money in
0: pro wrestling. Isn't it funny when you see people making money in pro wrestling? We're always like, how are they doing that?
1: Yeah, because I've always alienated people, not by uh, intention. Uh, so I never really, you know, the, the way I covered the business always kind of like, you know, who was going to hire me? WWF
0: was going to hire me back then. Well, I think that's that's a good point. You alienated yourself because you wanted to be honest with things. And like the whole WWF thing, it was during the steroid era and they offered you something if you'd stop talking about it and you didn't want to stop talking about it.
1: No, I felt it was necessary to do that. But also, even to this day, you find uh, that because you, may, because you don't hate people, people that hate certain people don't like you or won't cooperate with you because you uh, have patched things up with somebody that they hate. Isn't it funny? It's like high school. It's like high school. It, it is very much like high school. So, I mean, because I brought Vince Russo into the business, I can't get certain guests on my show. You know, Vince Russo's Vince Russo. He, he did me wrong in so many ways, which I'll be covering. But it doesn't mean that after, you know, all these years, I forgave him and that I have a, I have a uh, you know, a friendly relationship with him now but because i do people are like you know why do you like that guy and da, 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 da. and some people just won't even respond to me when i ask them to be on the show because of uh, my ability to not hate people yeah to move on,
0: let's call it moving on. I can move on from that. Oh, yeah, I, I, I
1: lost a freaking uh, podcast distributor because I was talking, just
0: talking to somebody that he didn't like. It's crazy. It's it's just this is why I love doing the show with you at a distance because I'm not depending on this as my livelihood. Because we no. talked about this a long Maybe time. Neither. Ago. If I was depending it for my livelihood. <laughs> um, I don't know what I'd be doing to tell you the truth, you know. Well, we appreciate your help. If you enjoyed the podcast, please uh, patreon.com slash john But another way, John, is to follow you on social media. Where can people find you on social media?
1: Easy. Twitter at Johnarezi, Instagram at John Arezzi. And I put what a great pick I put up there. Of course, we're taping this, but there's a picture of me and Mick Foley in uh his convertible that I think he got from Lindy Motors out on Long Island. And we were driving to the ECW arena and we were in this convertible and someone sent me the picture the other day and I put it up on my socials, but yeah, Instagram at John Arezzi uh, and uh, Twitter at John Aresi Facebook, uh, you could go and find me there at, uh, at Matt memories, facebook.com Matt memories. We have two groups here, public one, a private one, and we have one for pro wrestling spotlight listeners, uh, facebook.com slash pro wrestling spotlight podcast and radio show. And of course, YouTube, youtube.com slash pro wrestling spotlight for a lot of video. We got a lot of video stuff up there now. And what about your auctions? Oh, yeah. I do the auctions. um, I'm doing them monthly now. I do them typically the last weekend of each month. And you can go to Facebook.com for that, slash John Arezzi's Vintage Wrestling Auctions. Awesome. And you get magazines from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, autographed pictures sometimes, all kinds of little things I put up there to... to, uh, Uh, to make the fans happy. And I give them good deals too. Like this last auction I did. All right. For every auction you win, you're going to get a free magazine. Wow. So one guy, Jeremy priest, the executive producer level, he won like eight of the auctions that I had. So we got eight extra magazines plus his four magazines from being a patron and plus the winning uh, items that he won in the auction. So he had a big box of vintage stuff sent to him. And he uh, actually reached out to me today and he got the, he loved everything. And, Uh, another one of our guys, Matt Walsh, who's, uh, an upper tier member reached out to me and he got all his magazines and he was thrilled with them because I'm like, all right, I'll give you this wrestling review from 1966. You know, I mean, you get some really cool things in there that are, that are really worth the money. And for the auctions, how would you like to start bidding for a vintage wrestling magazine at five bucks a pop? Yep.
0: And if no one bids against you, you got that magazine for five dollars. This could be you, people. This could be you. I've been on there a few times looking at different things, and I've been outbid. Yeah. I've been outbid by people, and I go, "Okay, I'll let them have this one." But I'm like, "John, I want this one. I want this magazine." Yeah, well, I, I, I was
1: doing it weekly, and now I'm just doing it monthly. And uh, you, you've got a big closet, John.
0: You got a big closet. You can't doing them weekly. I knew how much well, it took it's out in of the you.
1: storage bin. I have the. I still have about a thousand magazines in a storage bin that I still haven't even gone through. And you
0: you can win them. Just uh, what what is that? What is that Facebook again, John?
1: Facebook.com slash
0: John Arizzi's Vintage Wrestling Auctions. Fantastic. And also let's once again thank Scott Teal and his book, Wrestling in the Garden. How many times did I reference that today,
1: Tim? Wrestling in the Garden, Scott Teal, CrowbarPress.com. It's my Bible. Yep. It's this show's Bible. And if you want to pick up a copy of it, 2495, CrowbarPress.com. If you're a fan of Madison Square Garden wrestling and vintage stuff from back then at the Garden, the Mecca, pick up the book, Scott Teal. Tell Scott Teal we sent you. There you go. Anything else, John?
0: Where's baseball? <laughs> <laughs> it went the way of wrestling at the Garden. It's not around. Yeah, yet. I was
1: supposed to be leaving on March 13th, which is the anniversary of this house show, to Florida to meet my nephew and pick him up at Palm Beach International Airport. I was driving to Florida. I was leaving on Friday, uh, the 12th, and no baseball. And now it's like there's no trip this, this spring. There's no spring training for me. And at my age, I look forward to that spring training trip more than I do anything else in my life on a yearly basis. It's my sabbatical with my nephew, who lives 950 miles from me, and I haven't seen them since the middle of December. This was what we look forward to. And now the greed of baseball is taking it away. And I'm so angry. I'm so – you don't know how angry I am, Tim. And I know this is dragging
0: on. But well, I, I was going to say you can, go, you can go check it out in John Arrizzi's uh, baseball podcast coming out this spring. Oh,
1: that is going to be starting up soon. You, you knew about that, didn't you? Are you are you kind of giving people teasers here or no? No,
0: I was just teasing you. I didn't really, you have a podcast on baseball coming I have out. a
1: baseball podcast. Coming out soon, I think we're taping our first kind of samples. We're going to test. It's with, uh, you know, he's not going to be on every week, but uh, he will be on pretty frequently. And that's John Gibbons, the former manager of the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, New York Mets guy and my old roommate from the Shelby Mets. And we're doing it with a guy named Stu Stone up in Canada uh, from Five Seven Films who did a fabulous documentary on baseball cards called Jack of All Trades. And uh, we're and he's up in Toronto, and we're going to be pushing Gibby's buttons, talking about what's going on in the game today. Kind of an insider's look at baseball. We haven't come up with a name yet. We have to do that this week because it's like,
0: what do we call it? You know? Wow. I was just giving you. I was just giving you a hard time. I didn't know you really had a podcast on it.
1: Oh, it is. I, I think it's going to be big, actually, because John is beloved. He's an icon in Canada. I mean, his baseball knowledge and the fact that he's all he's doing now is He's a special assignment scout for the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, I got John a book deal with ECW Press that Greg Oliver is co-writing with him. That'll come out next spring training, 2023. Stu is wanting to do a documentary on John up in Canada because of how beloved he was up there. So this is and John is uh, also uh, wanting to do cool things. You know, he's. He's, uh, you know, he's only he he would love to manage again. But, you know, the the way generationally they're hiring a lot of young guys and uh, and John is really old school. So but uh, he's a he's a great no nonsense manager who speaks his mind and for him to kind of kick off this podcast that we're doing about the inside of baseball is going to be really cool to see. And I hope John really enjoys the experience uh, because I'd love to have him on regularly.
0: Oh, that sounds awesome. And the name of the show, we don't know yet, but. No, we don't. We'll let you know as soon as we do. Because you can't use MLB. No. It's trademark. No, somebody somebody already has that. Somebody already has that. Well, uh- I
1: mean, just you can't. You, you can't call it.
0: Like, we can't call this the WWF uh,
1: insider look back at Madison Square Garden. We can't call that. But, you know, but we got to find something really cool for it, Tim. So, hey, write me John at MattMemories.com if you have a cool idea for a baseball podcast. That's there an you go. insider look. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. All
1: right, and the insider's Gibbons, not me, not so I'm you. Rambling on, Tim, and I haven't even had my Wheaties yet today.
0: Well, we're 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 going a little overtime today. Hey, for John and Rizzy, I'm Tim Petray. We'll see you next time.